Good morning. It's week four of God of Jacob, and one more week after this, in case you're waiting for the next preacher. <laughs> Just be silly. Uh, I'm glad you love me, Vicky. I like myself too, so it's it's good to be up here. And I was uh, a little sad. Chris wasn't a bit more naughty this morning because it would have given me permission and license to go a little bit wider and blame it all on him again. But it's all good. So God of Jacob, we get our series title from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So over the four weeks, uh, including today, we've been learning about the story of uh, Jacob and, and we're leading up to the, the reveal next week of why it's so important and uh, so relevant to us that God is called the God of Jacob here in Exodus. But these five weeks, they're all really the prequel to that reveal and why it's so relevant and important to us. What have we learned so far in the series? In the first week, a promise made is a promise kept, even in spite of family rifts and a crazy family environment with uh, competition and favoritism between uh, different parents and different kids. God makes a promise about family legacy and makes sure it is kept. And the second week, Cody preached for us and uh, the purpose of a promise, continuing the theme of promises and that promises lead us to the promiser and reveal the character of the promiser as well. Very important to understand, particularly when it comes to any relationship with uh, anybody, but let alone a relationship with God and trusting the character of his promises and the promiser. Last week, this time, Leah chose this time to praise in the middle of his circumstance when it came to and naming her, one of her sons, Judah, which means praise. And out of that praise came a legacy that, to bless all nations. And we've been singing about it this morning because Jesus came from that praise, from that family and from that son. And today we continue the story of Jacob in Genesis 32. Verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And today's message is called No Longer. But first, before we come back to that, a little bit of backstory. In, uh, by Genesis uh, 30 verse 24, Jacob now has 11 sons and a daughter. We learnt last week about the, some of the struggle between the wives and starting to have the sons. <clears throat> At this point, we've kind of jumped ahead a little bit because otherwise we're doing 25 chapters. Uh, we've done 25 chapters over the course of uh, five weeks. If we took it uh, one chapter at a time, it'd be a whole year. Or, if we kind of broke it out, or half a year, if I do my maths correctly. <laughs> Don't preach every fortnight. Uh, it can, can, can be arranged, yes. <clears throat> uh, in Genesis 30, verse 25, we then get this further interaction between Jacob and Laban, his father-in-law. Remember, Laban was the one who tried to cheat Jacob 
uh, when it came to working for seven years for Rachel. Genesis 30, verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. Verse 27, but Laban said to him, if I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. It's going to pause there for a second. I think that's a pretty cool example right there. And it's a model for us where somebody who has been uh, manipulating Jacob and playing around with him and probably doesn't have great character still recognises the favour and blessing that comes from God when somebody carries that in their life. And I think that's a great model and example for us when we're in a workplace with a, a boss who doesn't treat us favourably or properly uh, or any sort of relationship or environment that ultimately the blessing of the Lord is on you and people will recognise it in time. Verse 28, he added, name your wages and I will pay them. Sound a little bit familiar? Jacob said to him, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> they will be my wages. Again, continuing that pattern, the encounter about Rachel and uh, Jacob working for, starting to work for Laban's household. Verse 33, in my honesty... Interesting, Jacob talking about honesty. Will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark coloured, will be considered stolen. Basically, it'll be very easy to tell visually whose is whose. Verse 34 Agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. Now, Laban thinks he is a great deal here because the speckled. <laughs> spotted, just inventing words here. The spotted and speckled uh, part of the flock is actually the smallest portion. So that's why Laban agrees. He says, cool, great, easy. It's visually easy to tell, but you've got the raw end of the deal. Then verse 35, that same day, he, Laban, removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Laban agreed to the deal. Then he picked all of those ones that Jacob was going to have and sent them three days away. So Jacob could not uh, facilitate breeding and growth in his wages. So Laban is still trying to manipulate and trick Jacob, doing it one more time. What's interesting is that God works this situation. What Laban thought was 
uh, wise and, and clever in his eyes, he actually left Jacob with a larger part of the flock, which Jacob then turns for good. So Jacob was clever with that largest part of the flock. He stayed with them and he was faithful with them, inspired by a dream about the spockled and speckled and spotted uh, animals and the dark coloured ones. And his flocks increased drastically and quickly. He managed to manipulate the flocks through uh, breeding to increase his wages, using the larger part that wasn't meant to work for him, that wasn't meant to be in his favour. But he turned it for good. After this, then Jacob leaves Laban. Uh, and interesting, Jacob originally fled to Laban to escape his brother, and now he's leaving because God tells him to go home. Now, you might remember in uh, the first couple of weeks when Jacob left, he left. Uh, part of the thing about getting the blessing and going into Isaac was that thought Isaac was going to die, uh, and then he went to Laban and it was just going to be a few months and maybe a couple of years. Well, a lot of time has passed now. It's actually 20 years later since he left his family, since he has seen his brother. And interestingly, his father, who was on his deathbed, is actually still alive. Jacob explains to his wives that Laban has cheated him and he shares the dream in which God appears and reveals he knows about Laban's wrongdoings against Jacob. So Jacob convinces his wives and, and they, they agree and they leave. They leave their family home. They gr- leave where they grew up. But Rachel steals the household idols and statues. And then when, when Laban discovers that Jacob has fled with the family and with all his uh, flocks, he pursues him and eventually catches him. He still is trying to get what he can from Jacob. Rachel hides the the stolen idols from her father, then Jacob confronts Laban over 20 years of mistreatment that they've had in their relationship. Then Jacob and Laban make a covenant not to harm each other and go their separate ways. And Laban returns home. That's just a little bit of filling in the story in between. So now Jacob, after that interaction with Laban, then continues towards home. But there's skeletons in his closet They're now coming out. Jacob is moving from crisis to crisis, from hot water to hot water, from the confrontation with Laban to now potential confrontation with Esau, the brother he cheated out of birthright and blessing. He's running from one confrontation to another. The schemer and deceiver is struggling to break out of the pattern of his younger days, of his younger years and his earlier decisions. As Esau comes to meet him, Jacob is really worried that his brother will try and kill him or take his possessions, take what he has earned. So Jacob sends everybody ahead of him. He says, I'll go last. I'll send my family. I'll send my flocks. I'll send everything I've earned. I'll send a gift of livestock to my brother because I don't know how this is going to go. And actually says he's going to go and try and pacify his brother. It's interesting family relationship still continuing. That's how he perceives his brother that at the age of 90, I need to pacify my brother because he could justly and rightly be very angry at me. 
So by sending everything ahead of him and coming up with this plan that if everything good thing goes ahead of me and we have this conversation or this interaction and I come last, the thing that Esau probably despises the most, then maybe we would have turned him and we can uh, build our relationship again. But Jacob is trying to fix the situation on his own. He's got many ideas, he's pulling them uh, together, he's put the strategy, he's trying to be generous, he's trying to do everything he can in his strength, sending people ahead to try and fix the situation. But then in the end, we see that Jacob still knows that plans can be futile unless God steps in in such a tricky situation. And he prays for help. But ultimately, if Esau's brother wants to kill him and his family, then there's nothing that Jacob can do. So Jacob sends everyone across the river and he stays alone. And that is where a stranger wrestles with Jacob all night. And it leads to the verse we started with. In Genesis 32, 22. That night Jacob got up and took his wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This man is an angel of God or God. The descriptions kind of cross over a bit, but it's pretty common understanding that this was God in man form, wrestling with Jacob. Jacob is 90 years old, so to wrestle all night is pretty impressive. He's pretty strong. But remember, he's, he's a man... Uh, now of the land, he was a man of tents in, in the first week, but he was strong enough to roll a, a stone away from a well. So it takes a lot of stamina, though, to wrestle, uh, particularly that long. Willpower and strength to never give up. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. It'd be pretty painful. God wasn't interested in a fight. He, he wrestles with Jacob, but has the final say when he touches his hip and takes his strength. He wants Jacob to stop being a scheming man who's moving in strength and wit and willpower to try and fix everything on his own. So he touches him and destroys the one thing he's relying on in this situation. What does God want from this? He wants to release a destiny and a blessing for Jacob and his family. In verse 26, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob wants, so God wants to give Jacob exactly what he wants, a blessing. However, God is not wanting to give it to a schemer in this situation. God wants to bless him, but not as a schemer. Jacob is fighting for it, but God is waiting for Jacob to try to stop fixing things on his own. He is now seeking a blessing from God. Verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And here's the verse. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. 
God wants Jacob to admit his failure, his attempts to make things happen in his strength and abilities. See, this is relevant for us in our time. Today, we have access to all sorts of knowledge and information and understanding and videos and websites and that can lead to a building up of self because there is so much knowledge and information. We're in the information age. But those sorts of things, if not handled rightly, can lead to pride and not like a good pride as in I'm proud I did a good job or something, but an arrogance that we don't need the support of community or we don't need God to uh, act on our behalf in a situation and a confidence in self that elevates self above God. The real challenge for us is to trust in God and lean not on our own understanding. And a great place to start in that trust in God is those promises we talked about in the first couple of weeks of the series. God asked Jacob his name. What is your name, Jacob, he answers. See, Jacob is not only who he is, what his name is, but what he is as a person and his character and a label. Particularly in that time, the names very much described uh, who they were. And in this case, we we saw uh, how Jacob lived his life out as deceiver and uh, supplanter and heel grabber. The name is very descriptive of his nature. Trickster as well. Who are you? It's a good question. Are we a Jacob? Are we somebody else? What labels and names do we go by? Not necessarily what does your name mean, but how are you described? How am I described? Now Jacob has admitted who and what he is. God can do something. And God says something that is really amazing. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. God does not see him as Jacob. God does not see him as the labels and the names that have been put on him, the thief, the trickster. God sees him as Israel, which means prince with God. There's a transformation in the name change. See, Jacob was living life down to his name but God does not see him that way. And I think it's great encouragement for anyone here who may feel like they are living down to the names and labels put on them. From your childhood, from recent time, that God does not see you that way. God does not see you in the way that other people or yourself in the mirror might see you. God has an elevated view of you for your future. God does not see you that way. He sees you, but he says your name will no longer be. God sees Jacob as a prince that strives with God and man and ultimately wins. But he wins not because he has manipulated God in the situation, but because he humbled himself and acknowledged his weakness and failure. His past is striving with men to win by scheming, But God has shown him in the end, it was not due to his work, but by God intervening in those situations on his behalf that everything came to Jacob. That's why he had victory. We've seen this name transformation happen in his family with his grandfather. Abram became Abraham. The new name indicates a new destiny. 
And the first evidence of real spiritual transformation in Jacob's life is when he receives the new name. Because, as we know, he's about to see Esau, his brother he hasn't seen in 20 years that he basically stole everything from. Before this encounter, before this wrestling, before this name change, he sends everybody across the river and he was going to go last. But after this encounter, he goes before his entourage, before all his family, before all his crops to meet his brother. See, not only did he get a name change and a destiny change, he suddenly has courage to face up to his past and to step into his future. Ask George to come up. So as we kind of come towards an end, question on how that applies to us around labels or maybe trying to fix everything on our own. Do you try and fix everything on your own? Do you take things under control? Do we go to prayer or do we go to solutions? Maybe labels have been put on you from an earlier part of your life, from childhood, from ancestors, maybe from school, from workplace. Or maybe you need the courage to do what is right in your current situation, just like Jacob. Here's the message to, to you, to me this morning. No longer, no longer. You are no longer the labels that people put on you. You're no longer defined by your upbringing. You're no longer defined by past behaviours. You're no longer defined by past decisions. No longer the person trying to take control of everything. Your name will no longer be those things, but God gives us other names. Child of God, disciple, saint, believer, friend of God. Just ask everybody to stand and we're going to finish in prayer. Just to take a moment here, just to close our eyes. Just to let that thought, that word sit in your heart and see what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you today. Are there labels that need to break off and see what God says about you? Do you need courage to do the right thing in your current situation? Maybe you need to give up control. There's been this constant cycle like Jacob of deception, stubbornness, trickery. Now that cycle might look like other things in your world. But when we try and fix things on our own and not rely on God's voice and His plans and His wisdom and for Him to move in situations, it can just be a cycle until we break free and hand over control. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here this morning.
Thank you, your Holy Spirit gives us power to break off labels that are holding us back. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And speak and declare freedom for anybody that's being held back by labels. Everything that is coming against progress and growth and relationship. Jesus, you come in power. Thank you, God, you no longer call us those things. We never have, but our future is defined no longer by those, but by what you call us, how you see us. As a believer, as a saint, child of God. You speak to us this week, today. Reveal those things. Embed them in our heart. Revelation. We are no longer like a Jacob, but we are transformed with a future like in Israel, Prince of God. Thank you, you're imparting courage. Where previous decisions and labels and circumstances have brought us to a situation. Pray for that encounter, that wrestling touch of your presence this morning and courage to everyone who needs it this morning.
maybe you have um, circumstances, you've had a bit of a Jacob thing going on in your world, provide that opportunity in a moment. I ask you to raise your hand if you're online in the chat here in the room. Raise your hand nice and high and we're going to pray together and ask Jesus to come and take control and be that follower of Christ. So if that's you this morning, just ask you to raise your hand nice and high. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down on them. We're just going to all pray together to finish. Let's pray this together. Jesus, I need you. I'm humbly calling out to you. I'm tired of doing things my way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Saviour. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit and make me whole. Lord, help me to trust you. Amen.